Good morning and welcome to Wavemakers, a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm your host, Janet Scherberger. And I'm Tom Scherberger. Um, and answering the phones for us today is the swarthy John Dunn. So if you have questions or comments, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or email us at dj at wmnf.org. And you can also text us at 813-433-0885. Today's Wavemaker, Aaron Dietrich. He's an organizer and co-founder of the People's Council of St. Petersburg. Last year, Dietrich's group pressed their case with the St. Pete City Council, who requested a report from the city administration on rent control. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you so much. That city report is still pending. Two Saturdays ago, Dietrich's group gathered at a downtown park in St. Pete to call on city officials to immediately address the affordable housing crisis. For more on that, here's WMNF's Ariel Stevenson. Saturday in Williams Park, residents gathered with the People's Council of St. Pete to organize for better housing. St. Pete resident Stacy Rush says she has to move out of her studio apartment this month because the rent went up from $600 to $1,300. And I really don't even know where I'm going yet. Put everything in storage and stay whatever door opens up. So I had to step up. You know, I'm your everyday citizen. I'm not a politician. And sometimes I don't even use the right verbiage. But I believe we all need to open our mouth and speak. Rush, who's also a spoken word artist and singer, wrote a song about the housing crisis based on the old spiritual motherless child. Are you listening, Mr. Mayor, City Manager, Commissioner, City Council, our representatives? Now say this part. I need a home, affordable home. I need a home, affordable home. The group submitted over 600 signed petitions to city council last month, declaring a housing state of emergency in the city. St. Pete City Council voted 6-1 to one to explore legalities of rent control and a housing state of emergency. The mayor's office is slated to report to council on how to proceed. But the People's Council's Aaron Dietrich says so far, nothing has really changed for residents facing homelessness. So I think a lot of us, our assessment in this, and this is really what we want you to talk about, but our assessment is that we've seen progress, we've seen acknowledgement, but I think we all know it, and especially hearing Stacy sing her song, that has not changed the reality on the ground for us in St. Petersburg. So where do we go from here? Residents broke out into groups to vote on how and when to escalate demands for a housing state of emergency. Deb spoke to her group about what it's been like to be one of St. Pete's working homeless. I am what you call one of the working homeless, okay? I'm, I own my own business and I make good money, but not enough to stay where I was at. You can't live here and work here at the same time. Tangela Butler says she's facing homelessness after over 46 years in the city. I just got discriminated against because of my class. I put in for a condo. I got approved by a realtor, but the HOA denied me. Why? Because I'm lower class. They don't want me out there in their facility. They denied me because of a, a, a charge that my co-applicant had 25 years ago, have never, ever been in any other trouble. 25 years ago. Not me, the co-applicant, which is now, he's a, he's a, a maintenance supervisor at a retirement home. 
I got denied, and after being approved, I was supposed to be moving into my house today. She runs a Facebook group called Renters Lives Matter. She's employed, financially stable, and says she still can't find a place to live. My family is facing homelessness. I get up every morning and go to work. I'm a school bus driver. I've been driving 18 years. Why am I homeless? Why am I facing homelessness? Why are we all facing homelessness? We built this city. Democratic State Representative Michelle Rayner spoke about her district of South St. Pete. She says people she grew up with are being forced from their homes. People that I have known since I was a child are getting pushed out of their homes. They can't afford the property taxes on their homes. They can't afford mortgages and rents on their homes. The only community that they've known, they are getting pushed out. The group voted unanimously to escalate if their demand for a housing state of emergency is not met. The majority voted to do so before next month's meeting. Folks then marched to City Hall, taping Save Our City petitions to the doors of City Hall. For more information, visit peoplescouncilofstpete.org. For WMNF News, I'm Ariel Stevenson in St. Petersburg. Uh, so, Aaron, um, that was two Saturdays ago at a park in downtown St. Pete. Tell us, how, how did we get here and what is it that your group wants to do about it? Man, I still got Stacy's song stuck in my head. That was um, that was amazing. Um, how we got here, um, you know, we started off around March of last year, um, talking with the community about the uh, the response to COVID. Um, you know, we've been through a really unprecedented moment across the country, and St. Pete's no different. Um, at the time, the city was getting about $45 million in federal funds um, to deal with the COVID pandemic. Um, and you know, part of that was housing, um, issues of equity. We were organizing at that time to give residents a voice and how does this money need to be used in your community? Where should it go? We've organized around the budget for, for quite some time. And I think it's just a testament to the level of pain and um, desperation that people are feeling on the ground that, um, you know, and looking at that money coming in from the federal government, um, people were just unilaterally focused on the need for housing. Um, and it, it makes sense, right? We've seen so many people in the community come together um, really because we don't have a choice um, without that most basic of securities. Um, what do you have? How do you build a, a community, maintain a, a neighborhood, if you don't know how long you're going to be able to afford to live there. What's, what is contributing to the rising cost of, of housing in the Tampa Bay area, St. Pete in particular, but Tampa Bay area in general? Everybody's got a, seems to have a, an opinion on this. Um, I think we've seen a, a lot of debate going around, whether it's supply, demand. Um, is it uh, the limitations of the market? I mean, I, I had a colleague say to me the other day, I think he said it so well, you know, we see the market not responding to need. We see it responding to opportunity. Um, so I, I think, you know, this idea of, of how we got here, what is impacting this is, is for experts to, to look into, to get into those details. What we're trying to say is we're not housing experts, um, but I don't think we need to be. We know we're being displaced from our homes. Um, and we're demanding action on that from all those people that, that have those, uh, those ideas and, and have time to debate issues that, that, frankly, we don't on the ground. 
Right. Just to speak about the scope of the problem, uh, Zillow projects Tampa home values will rise 25% this year. It's the highest increase in the country. Um, and two other Florida cities, um, Jacksonville and Orlando, also made Zillow's top 10. And meanwhile, affordable housing hasn't kept up with demand. Um, available housing in the area has shrunk by 46%, according to Zillow. So it's really simple supply and demand. And in the meantime... Um, we're not building enough affordable housing and um, we've got low wages, generally speaking, in the area. And in the meantime, people flocking to Florida, wanting to live in Florida and wanting to live in the Tampa Bay area. So all of that, I think, is contributing as well as to um, lawmakers um, in Tallahassee uh, continually rating um, funding for affordable housing. Aaron, are you struggling at all with housing? How did you get involved in all of this? Um I actually uh, work with uh, the union that represents city employees who um, actually right now are, are fighting for a, uh, a bargaining agreement to get raises themselves. We're fighting over like a, a difference of 1% with the city. Um, as, as you just said, as, as rents have gone up by 24%. I'm not an expert once again, but that math is pretty easy to clear. Um, we are not keeping up with the cost of living. And I, I think, frankly, the the quality of our community, the culture of our community, the the fundamental fabric of our community is on the line here. So um, I'm not struggling personally. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not able to save. I, I have my personal struggles as any millennial does. Um, but what I do see is I think something much beyond supply and demand and market forces is seeing people ripped out of their communities, ripped out of their relationships, of seeing people who stay in homes with relationships that they really shouldn't, but they don't have a choice to do otherwise. I think it, it really comes to a, a conversation about human um, human needs and human trauma at this point. When you have a background in anthropology, though, so is that how you ended up? I mean, you, you talked about working for the union. You're an organizer and somebody yeah. who's a grassroots organizer. So how did you come to that? Well, yeah, sorry, I've taken a, a whole lot of... Uh, efforts to kind of get where I'm at now, but a lot of um, my work in anthropology was really just doing research. Um, and I think that's been really helpful in, in what we see with the People's Council of, of trying to say, you know, what are the possibilities of organizing people together, uh, coming to consensus? I, I think, you know, the fact that we have these votes uh, from the community coming back unanimously, all the organizers, and I'm one of them, was like, this is not possible. People just don't agree on this kind of stuff. Um, I really believe that when you're in one of these people's council meetings and you see 200, 300 people come to consensus, it just changes what your view of, of, is possible in politics. Um, so I, I say that from that, that idea of anthropology uh, was coming to see what, what are the possibilities of, of human organization uh, and how do we practically solve problems. So, that, so power know, to the people. Where there's people, there's power. And you, I think you had 150 or so people that were at a city council meeting when you got that 6-1 vote. Was that back in um, December? December 15th, I think, yeah. was the date. Um, yeah, and they, they did an amazing job. People waited for three hours, more than three hours, to, to speak that night. Um, you know, but, and, you're, but you're still waiting for that report from the city, right? We are. We are. And, I mean, I, I think it's... Um, we're trying, to, we're trying to, I think, really situate ourselves as, um, as arbiters in this process, you know, we present what the what's going on, what the city has said they're doing in response. We try to present that to the residents and say, let them decide on this themselves. Um, and I think that has been a, a really impressive process. Um, so I, I think that 
you know, we've seen this, this progress. We've seen that um, acknowledgement. But as you kind of saw in the piece, it, it hasn't impacted the, the reality on the ground. Um, so we're constantly trying to reach out to residents and say, all right, here's the situation. How do we proceed? It's, it's really their campaign. So what are the solutions and what is your group pushing for? Because this is a very complex uh, situation and it didn't happen overnight. Right. It's been an issue we've been hearing about for years. Elected officials have talked about the importance of affordable housing, but it doesn't seem like there's been a lot of progress. So what is your group pushing for? I mean, I'm a, I'm a union organizer. I don't, I'm not a housing organizer. So I, I kind of did a lot of research as I'm looking into this. And it's like, yeah, it's a generational issue. Uh, it has not been resolved. And I think what we're looking at now in terms of these emergency solutions, um, let's, let's be real. People are scared to death when they hear rent control. The reason we're hearing about rent control is because we've made no investments in housing over the past generations. Um, I think in St. Pete alone, we have a 10-year plan that started in 2020. The goal of that plan is to create 2,500 new affordable housing units in 10 years. By wow. all estimates, we need at least 1,000 a year. We're not even shooting for, for the yeah, goal. Yeah, the city of Tampa is 10,000 in, um, I think, by six years, by 2027. Yeah, right. so a significantly uh, bigger effort. In- and they seem to be well on their way to attaining that, but as you, as you mentioned it still is going to fall short well, of the need, right? Exactly. And I mean, I think we, we have a, a whole lineup of solutions. What we've tried to do is put a menu of policy solutions up on our website and in these conversations um, because we're not housing experts. What we want to do is be able to measure um, and see the impact of what it means to have secure housing in our communities. We're but, looking- with, but with rent control, it's very, very difficult to do in Florida because of state laws. And um, it, it starts with what you all are pushing for is an emergency uh, declaration by the city of St. Petersburg. Is that right? Can That's you explain right. a little yeah, bit more how, why that begins and what happens after that? And I'm still learning this a lot myself, and I think this is such an important point. Um, what we're talking about, this legislative proposal that we've offered to the city of St. Pete, would allow, if they pass an ordinance, would allow residents to vote. This would go to a ballot referendum, just like when you're going to vote for the governor or you're voting for your, your state representative, you would be voting on do you want to see rent, can, rent increases freeze for one year in your city. And that's the, the important point to remember about this. But this first, the council year. has to, re, to, to declare a crisis or an emergency, and then you have the referendum on whether you want, or not you want to freeze it for a year, and then you have to do it every year after that. Right. It, it, it would have to be renewed every year. And as, as everybody, I think, that, that deals in policy in Florida knows, the, the state legislature is, is very keen on um, determining how we solve problems in our local cities. Um, so the, the actual path around that is that our local city council members um, and the mayor, definitely through his support, um, can allow residents to get around that limitation um, by just allowing them to have that vote themselves. Um, it cannot be enacted by, by our local officials. It can be voted upon by our residents. That's the fundamental distinction. The people have to vote. Um, we've got a, a, a call, a caller in St. Pete. Leah in, in St. Pete is on the line. Leah, Leah in St. Pete, what's on your mind? Hi. Um I called in, uh, a friend of mine told me that you guys were discussing. I've actually been to the meetings um, with People's Council. Um, I'm an 
advocate. I was honored. I'm a student, and I was honored by St. Petersburg College as well for being a housing advocate. Um, I personally am living in Fusion 1560 in downtown for four years now, and um, I am being wrongfully evicted. Um, they have a malicious, retaliatory um, eviction suit against me right now. It's been going on for a year. I haven't been heard yet. Um, there's a actual hearing on February 23rd. We got the judge to push it out. Um, I have thousands of photos and videos um, and emails. The whole building has integral water damage. They have a $3.5 million project that they're hiding from everybody um, that code is trying to enforce right now but hasn't come through with enforcing it. They actually had a case closed and then reopened over a three-year time period, and they've been getting away with it. And this is something that's common in the city. I don't know if anybody caught the broadcast on Channel 10 as well, uh, 9.30 Central. All these, uh, quote-unquote, new construction buildings have been slapped together very poorly. And they, I mean, I'm, I'm, from what I'm paying, they have tripled the rent on the new people that are moving in here. They're not telling them that the building is falling apart. My unit has dangerous electrical damage. One of the other units actually lit on fire. Uh, the woman lost everything. Um, my unit floods. The doorway is not finished. Now, Leah, what, tell, tell us about your finding someplace. I mean, have you thought about moving? Can you not afford any oh, place to live? What is the... I've been, I've been looking. I've been, I've really, I've been, I've been looking, and, and, and it's just ridiculous to be able to find something. And again, I'm a student. Um, I went back, I've moved through domestic violence, and I've been rebuilding my life. And I went back to school to try and make something of myself because I was furloughed from the hospitality industry at the beginning of all of this. Okay, so it's um, a, a, you're a victim of the pandemic. Yes, yes. Were you, and did you get any rental assistance from the federal, there's a federal program that offers rental assistance. Were you able to get so any? It's interesting. Um, while I've been in court with the landlord, I have received a couple rounds of um, assistance, and the landlord has attempted to stop me from getting the rental assistance as well. Um, the city worked with me, and actually the city comptroller directly cut the check to me so that I could put it in escrow because the landlord was trying to get me to default to get me out of the building so that they didn't have to follow what code is trying to enforce with them. And, Leah, it sounds uh, like they also want to raise the rent, and you're yeah, in the correct, way. correct. Okay. Right, so they want to get you out so they can get a higher-paying tenant in. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and there's no – and the thing is, is that our units, the ones that are facing Central, also are constructed – above its uh, live workspaces that they've, you know, um, like multi-use spaces they've been putting in. So there's now a bar below us. The walls vibrate until 3 o'clock in the morning. The building was not built for this amount of people and for the amount that they're charging and the quality of living that they're giving to people, it's, it's criminal. It really is criminal. And the fact that there is no floor. I mean, they're charging 3000 to 5000 a month for units that two years ago were 1200 right. or 1400 a month. And these are the stories uh, we're hearing. These are the stories we're hearing. I'm, I'm wondering if, um, if any of you else out there, you have stories like this, that you're struggling to pay your rent or, you're, or um, maintain a, a, a house, you can give us a call. Please call us at 813-239-9663 or email us at dj at wmnf.org or you can text us at 813-433-0885. What solutions do you all have for what is clearly a housing crisis right now. Rent control 
or something else. There are a lot of different options. So um, some of the other ideas that there are out there are tax breaks. You can give tax breaks to people for building affordable housing. You can build more, although I just don't think we can even build fast enough. That seems to be the general wisdom. Um, but then there's also, you can change zoning policies. So there's lots of things that you can do on the zoning front. What are some of those, Aaron, that you guys are, have thought about? Yeah, the, the zoning question is an interesting one. Um, you know, and I think through most of this conversation, what we've tried to say is like, let's have a pragmatic conversation. Let's see what works. If everything can add to that goal of ensuring all people are insured uh, housing in our city, we're down to work with that. I think with the, the zoning that we've seen, though, um, there's, a, there's kind of an idea of, of relaxing zoning or, or making more zoning. Um, and I think to Mayor Welch's uh, response the other day, which I thought was really important, was, you know, if we, we relax zoning just to make for uh, more uh, smaller units, more dwellings, uh, more, what do they call it, increased dwelling. Mm-hmm. Increased, um, density. increased density. Density, yep. thank you. Um, that doesn't guarantee that it's affordable. Well, well they're de- building a lot of housing in downtown um, Tampa and the Channel District and that Water Street. That is not affordable housing. Right. And, and I thought to your caller there, I mean, that's a really interesting point. When, when I see her talking and saying that, it's, it's that feeling of powerlessness, is that I'm in an economic relationship with somebody who has absolute power to do whatever they want. And I, I, I think that's something that I'm hearing a lot in the People's Council is this idea of, yeah, we hear supply and demand, but what about the dynamics of power in that? Uh, I think the idea that, that we have less than 1% vacancy has put um, those people who are able to charge rent at an incredibly powerful position. Um, and, and I think that's, as I said earlier, a challenge that we're dealing with is the market seems to be responding to opportunity, not to the needs of people. And the opportunity that they're seeing is to build housing for people of means, right. not for people who can't afford what is there now, correct? And it seems like one of the challenges of affordable housing is that when a government proposes affordable housing, they often have pretty limited goals. For example, you can get a grant, whatever, but you have to provide perhaps 10%. Well, if you build a 500-unit complex, that's, what, 50 units? It's it's barely putting a dent in. Yeah, I mean, we had a great conversation actually with the Chamber of Commerce last week, um, that was awkward. Um, let's have a <laughs> conversation about rent control at the Chamber of Commerce. But it was, it was good. Um, and I, I think there's a place to have a conversation about the market in this. Is, you know, I think we're, we're not serving an entire market of people who are saying we're not rich, we're not luxury people, we're working people. And I think that that whole market is being kind of ignored at this point. I'm driving down, uh, taking the bus yesterday, and I, I feel that compulsion in my in my heart, when I, just, I see all these new houses going up and the new condos, and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm going to be losing my home. I'm going to be kicked out of the city that I love. And it just struck me. It's like, well, Aaron, that's because you know none of that's for you. And I mean, I, I think about that. Why is it that we can have condos for, for affluent people downtown, but we can't see anything built for working people downtown? Why aren't those people able to live together? I mean, that, that is the vision I think we have with St. Pete for all. Well, of course, lower value housing doesn't pay as the property taxes aren't as high. So it's a kind of an interesting thing that we just, there's this idea that growth is always good. Mm-hmm. We're growing, we're growing, we're growing. This is good, this is good. More people, more people, more. So there's like 
The housing prices are so high here. That's great. Well, if the housing prices are so high here, that's great if you want to sell your house. But if you're a person of average means, where are you going to go? And it makes it harder to rent. Um, We have an email from Daniel Ganster who says, Eminent domain, this is an interesting idea, Daniel. Eminent domain to take rentals from corporations and provide housing. I'm assuming what you're meaning there, you can feel free to email and follow up that you want to just take big apartment complexes. And I don't know that how, how well that would work, but it, it's an idea. Um, well, try another, in other countries. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you mentioned, I think. Aaron's that, like, I like that idea. No, I, I, I think we run into some problems with that. I, I will say this, though. I think if we don't look realistically at how we can have voluntary proposals done, how we can have the market come in to solve these problems, those are the options that people are going to be looking at if they don't have resolution to them. In order to increase uh, the housing stock, uh, you do. it does seem like you need to have some changes in policies. For example, I, uh, mm-hmm. I live in South Tampa, which is a you know, very nice neighbor, neighborhood section of town to live in. But I've noticed that in some of the older neighborhoods, you have a lot of four- and eight-unit apartment buildings sprinkled throughout the neighborhoods, and they're very nice. Uh, people seem to have accepted that. But if you propose that today in a neighborhood in South Tampa or even West Tampa or anywhere else, you get a lot of objections. How do you overcome this fear that people seem to have toward, A, rental housing, mm-hmm. and B, affordable housing? I uh, I don't mean to, to sound really uh, kind of nostalgic, but it, it this this process through this year has almost been spiritual to to understand what democracy is that it's about people talking to each other not just their elected representatives and that was kind of like a an aha moment for me so i, I want to say this i think there's a, a real opportunity in this moment for radical reconciliation um, for people to come together and say look we're going to sit down in the people's council leave our ideology at the door and talk about how we put people's butts in houses because that's what we agree on um so i don't have a real direct answer to that other than we have to get those people in a room and start talking you are meeting with the chamber of commerce which i think is uh, an impressive sign of your ability to get people around a table but what was their reaction to the even the idea of rent control I, I thought it was really interesting. I mean, I, I, I really consider myself a radical pragmatist, and I think that's a, a vision for us to, to move forward through these kinds of discussions. Um, and I think that a, a lot of business owners can respond to that. Um, they believe in what works a lot of the time. Um, I think there's, a, there's often, you know, and I, I kind of sense this somewhat, is there's a, there's a fear um, when you hear something like rent control that people assume a lot about our intentions, a lot about what our uh, values are. And um, I think that's really wrong. I think the categories that we're giving to each other, whether landlord, um, you know, rentor, um, we're all human beings in a community saying that housing should be a human right. And if you're willing to work with us on that, you know, we will have copious room to to work. Um, And I think that the Chamber of Commerce, you know, there's, there's people in that group that are very eager to work on that, but I, I think one of the biggest things that we stressed with them, and I think they get this, is that this isn't just about rent control. This is a conversation about something much deeper, the, the security of housing. Well, even um, you know the idea of the American dream of housing, that it's becoming unreachable here, and we do, you know, you always, you would hear those horror stories about people, I can't live in New York, I can't live in San Francisco, you, you don't want to go live in those places because it's so expensive. And is that what we're going to have here? I have my own daughter is very concerned about, will she ever be able to afford to buy a house? 
um, and she, uh, and it's looking pretty difficult given the fact also that her her wages are what they are. You know, we're not making you don't make as much money as you do here as you might in New York. And she's like, if I'm going to be living like this, why don't I just move to New York yeah. or San Francisco because uh, or a different kind of a city rather than staying here? Even though she wants to stay here, so I'm sure there are a lot of other people out there that are feeling the same the same pinch of what does that mean for the American dream of actually being able to to buy a house. Um, you know, and then we have these shows like that Selling Tampa that just <laughs> show us as this high-flying, expensive, exclusive place to live. And somehow we see that as a good thing. It's a cruel joke. It is a cruel joke. Um, we've got an, a text message, uh, um, someone who says, uh, I don't have a name. The market isn't designed to fix these problems. It's designed to exploit them. Affordable housing is a term used to appease people. That term should be addressed as low-income housing. The division in income is the problem. Um, that That's an interesting concept, and I would say I have to agree. I don't think that there's not a market solution to this problem because the market is all about top dollar. How do you, what, that's what the market is about. Well, the, the, <laughs> the solution, I think, that appeals to a lot of the Republicans in Tallahassee mm -hmm. is market-based in the sense that they would get a tax break if they build affordable right. housing. There is a, a bill in, uh, working its way through the legislature now that is uh, sponsored by Republicans. Uh, looks like it's moving pretty quickly. And it would offer a property tax break if local governments want it uh, to people who build affordable housing who set aside at least 10% uh, for mm -hmm. affordable housing. And you can get a bigger break if you provide more. Now, what would your group say to that as one possible solution? I, would, I, I wouldn't be able to speak for our, our group in response to that, but I would really love to put that in, in front of our folks and, and see what they think. I, in doing that, I would have to tell them that that's the same um, legislature that cut 48% of the affordable housing budget in 2020. That was just last year. Or was it? Yes. They've so. spent the last decade diverting uh, hundreds of millions of dollars from what is supposed to be a trust fund for affordable housing yeah. and sending it to their pet projects. But that last year they did finally put it in. Now, of course, they have $4 billion extra to spend this year, so yeah. maybe are you feeling a little bit better about that? Yeah, it feels the, the desire feels in genuine uh, a bit for me. Um, I, I think we're always pleased to see acknowledgement of this crisis and to see ideas on it, but it's, it is um, just on its immediate, a little frustrating to see that immediately go to saying, how do we cut taxes? Right. And the, would you, as you said when we were talking before the show, mm -hmm. that that is a way to, to look at it from a corporation standpoint, like a tax breaks, that is helping the wealthy who want tax breaks. So how do we fix this problem? We help the wealthy. Um, and I want to mention that, that state senator is Anna Maria Rodriguez. I don't mm -hmm. think we said her name. She's from um, the South Florida area, and so she's putting forward that proposal as well as another one that would provide tax credits to landlords who keep rent stable and rent to college students and recent college graduates. But interesting, I wasn't aware of that, that she actually has done other yeah. things to um, limit the amount of affordable housing. I, I mean, I will say, I think it's really encouraging to see that, that we're seeing a representative's acknowledge um, that there's something that needs to be done. We are petitioning our government in St. Pete and throughout the state for a housing state of emergency because we need help. Um, we are not going to build our way out of displacement. But I, I, I really want to stress, I think those emergency concerns, um, those emergency policies that we're looking at, they don't go anywhere if we don't have long-term solutions that actually require investment. So it, it, how do we cut taxes to lead to investment? I, I think it's... 
Um, not to get too personal on that, but it's just the, the short-sightedness of the state legislature once again. Um, so if you want to join the conversation, tell us your story of struggling to find affordable housing, uh, to buy a house, to rent a, uh, raising rents, facing eviction. Give us a call, 813-239-9663, or you can send us an email to dj at wmnf.org, or you can send us a text to uh, 433 um, uh, 0885. And again, that phone number is 813-239-9663. Um, and, uh, the, the gentleman who, um, was talking about the eminent domain is from Brooksville. Um, we have another email, um, this is interesting. Diane Stadler, you might have a thought on this. Aaron mm-hmm. says, Bitcoin is a solution to income inequality. Um, she says, just an absurd policy, but Eric Adams and other mayors are supporting this. Hmm. Does that... Uh, you, you, I think you know, too, I was studying local currencies back in, right. in 2012. Um, right. I, I think uh, currencies could do a lot to, to empower people, but it won't happen. Won't won't do that unless a lot of other things are happening, too. Um, but I, I, I really... I'm interested in how we can keep more of a community's value within the community. Um, and that that really has, has struck me in these recent um, months of organizing around housing, that there really is no greater resource to a community than those people that live there. Um, we got a lot of phone calls coming in, so that's great. Um, uh, I'm going to read another um, Text message, we don't build enough houses even well before the supply shortage. That is correct. That's definitely 100% true. We don't build enough. Um, let's see. We've got um, John and Palmetto on the line. Let's give John, bring John and Palmetto on the air. John, what's on your mind? John, are you there? Okay. Um, let's see. What else do we have? Um, we were talking about solutions. We were talking about zoning. So it's not just inclusionary zoning where you would include zoning, include um, affordable housing in the um, developments. You also could do things like lift density caps, allow more density, more um, reduce the height limits, reduce parking, get rid of parking right. minimums. Just so allow also um, get rid of the minimum lot sizes um, and also allow accessory dwellings, that kind of thing, so that there's incremental ability to to um, build housing. I think these these really, I mean, all can can be great. I was just, I was joking with a colleague the other day. It's like, do, do they expect me to like get a ticket like I'm at the dry cleaner to come back and like claim my community and my neighborhood when housing is more affordable in 10 years? Like it's, it's great, but it's it's not addressing the women and the people like, you know, Stacey Rush who's singing out there about, she's she's struggling with homelessness. Yep, she is. Um, so we have another text message. I'm going to read this one. It says, um, I am so glad you are addressing addressing this problem. I've been looking for an apartment myself. I have excellent, excellent credentials and a high credit score. But because I'm a disability, I have a disability, my funds are limited. One thing I found in St. Pete is that property managers are using rental trends to have property owners set their own rents. Um, I'm not sure what that means. Um, let's see. We've got Scott in Clearwater on the line. Scott in Clearwater, you're on the line. Scott? Scott. You're on the line. Okay, that was quick. Good. Thank you. Um, so I was just wanted to mention, I'm a, I'm a planner in the, in the uh, Tampa Bay area, and there are really kind of three primary ways, I think, from the government side that you can address affordable housing. There are, none of them are perfect. But the first way is you can throw money at the problem, which is probably the best way to do it, but probably also the hardest way to do it. 
it's hard to be able to have a dedicated uh, pot of money to do that. Another way you can do it is through um, incentivizing, through allowing like density bonuses or expedited permitting, um, waiving certain fees, waiving certain other requirements in order to make an affordable housing project more feasible. And then finally, from the regulatory side, which often is an, a more unpopular way, but I think an effective way, is to require things like affordable housing set-asides so that when a project comes in and maybe you even allocate specific areas where this happens, where you have more like proximity to jobs and better transit options, when somebody comes in to do a project that includes residential, that they're required to a percentage of that project must be dedicated to affordable housing in perpetuity. So that's just one thing I wanted to add to the discussion. All right. Well, thank you for that, Scott. We appreciate it. Good to hear from an urban planner. Thank you. And we got an email from Valerie Hyman who has a question for Aaron. Um, the People's Council has spoken out against Yimby St. Pete. Um, which is fighting to increase density by changing zoning. Yimby St. Pete, that's yes in my backyard. Mm -hmm. Tampa has a Yimby as well. And I think this is a national movement that's about mm -hmm. increasing density. Um, Yimby St. Pete has succeeded in getting the city council to consider approving denser housing citywide. If it's approved, more housing will be available. Research shows rent will go down. Mm -hmm. um, Yimby is also campaigning to make it less expensive to build and thus provides an incentive for developers to build workforce housing. So Aaron, um, but um, Valerie wants to know is how can you reach out to Yimby St. Pete? How do, how do they participate in the conversation, this group that is focusing on high-density development? It sounds like they're interested in solving the same problem. Um, I, I'm not aware of, of us speaking out against them, um, but I, I think what we've tried to say is, hey, get to the People's Council. Bring your people out. Let's have a conversation. Uh, I think it's re been really interesting because – you think that we'd have nothing but renters there, but there are landlords. There are all kinds of people. People, uh, for example, uh, I'm going to mention a, a friend of mine, India. She's owned her home for 30 years, um, and it's gone up $300 a month, her mortgage, just because of, of property insurance, of uh, homeowner right. insurance. The so everybody's going, affected. Well, and then the other thing is I think that landlords have, too. When we had that call earlier from um, the woman who was saying that she – her whole or her building is falling apart, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that one of the things that we're seeing too is that landowners are having a hard time maintaining their properties. So then you have also people, I mean, it's just all about the housing crisis. Yeah. So many mixes, so many things in the mix. Here's somebody who asks, Bev says, could a state income tax help this situation? When you factor in property tax and insurance, no wonder rent is so expensive. Um, I, uh, the way, in my mind, I feel like the way a state income tax would help with that fewer people would want to move to Florida. That's one of the appeals of moving to Florida is we don't have a state income tax. So that, that kind of addresses the problem at the head, but that it leads to the question of is growth good or bad? I, w I was just going to say, I think it's a really important point. Like we, we've organized a lot around the local city budget process. Um, that's where we started before this kind of became a housing campaign. Um, we think a key part of this is having money that's going to be invested in affordable housing long term. And we see that as needing to come from the state, frankly, the federal government. But what we're fighting for is at the, the local level. Um, and I want to really stress we are serious about that idea of guaranteed housing. We want to see a price tag. It's not an ephemeral dream. We want to see a plan and a price. Say, how, how much does that cost for the city of St. Pete to ensure housing for every resident? Um, I'm convinced um, 
you know, we look at the budget right now, less than 1% of a $700 million budget is going to housing. But yet it's, it's kind of spoke about as it's the top priority of the city. Um, we'll say know. that. So that, that was just last week, I think it was, the St. Pete City Council approved $750,000 for affordable housing. But Tom, how many units is that? Ten. Yeah, so that does not put a big dent in it when you're yeah, I mean, we're one at a time. Little, it's a band-aid a on a gunshot wound, yeah. right? Like it's, it's good, but it's, it's not solving it. Another issue that you all have brought up, uh, and I wanted to ask you first of all and, and explain to our listeners, the People's Council is an umbrella group. Right. So, how many? What are the other organizations that are involved in your? I think there's. A, I mean, it's become kind of an organic process. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I have to give a big shit out shout out to the St. Pete uh, St. Pete's Tenants Union. Um, they have been just integral to this process. Um, and the tenants have an issue regarding evictions, although we haven't really seen an eviction crisis yet because there's been so much. Housing assistance that have tens come of out. millions of dollars in federal assistance and a, and a moratorium, right? And a moratorium. Uh, eviction uh, cases have gone up uh, back to uh, about the level that they were pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, which is very high anyway. It's still about 600 cases a month in Hillsborough County alone. Right. But one of the issues that uh, one of the people that Ariel interviewed uh, was about evictions uh, following you through mm-hmm. your life, mm-hmm. and so there was a woman she talked to who wants to get an apartment, and she had been approved, but they find out that her roommate has had an eviction 25 years ago, and now she can't get it. Right. You all have a, a proposal to deal with that? Yeah, I mean, we've looked at, uh, and, and really what a lot of what we're doing when we're doing this kind of research is looking around at other communities to see how they've, they've dealt with state preemption and try to get creative with policy about how they help people in this crisis. Um, you know, I think the, um, the um, if you, could you... The eviction, the eviction moratorium, I, I think, is what we've looked at specifically. Um, you know, is this idea of if you've gone through a pandemic, this 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 incredible experience where people were losing their jobs due to no fault of their own, um, that that you know people should not be penalized in perpetuity um, for, frankly, a, a crisis all of us went through. Um, it really doesn't, um, I think, give anybody the the knowledge to make a better decision as a landlord, I think that it, it typically just gives people more ability to, to discriminate. We got an email from Gary Gibbons who says, I'm afraid that we're careening toward a situation where our service-based economy is going to have an even greater shortage of workers mm-hmm. because these workers, um, teacher, healthcare workers, et cetera, et cetera, simply can't afford to live here. Greed continues to be a huge societal issue. Tallahassee never spends the available affordable housing money year after year. Maybe they will champion tax credits, but I'm not holding my breath. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's interesting what you're saying. We... Uh, the, the issue with the um, workers not being able to afford housing, they can't live here. It's hard to get to work here because, you know, if you want to live out in the suburbs and in a, a cheaper, um, ha- for, for, find the cheaper housing out in the suburbs, but then to get to the work centers, how do you get there? You have to drive because we don't have any decent public transportation. So it's just this never-ending sort of cycle of this, this whole di- digging ourselves deeper and deeper in in this community. Yeah, we're really, really seeing that. I mean, and, and we have so many city workers that have to respond in hurricanes and an emergency basis, and the fact that they're no longer able to live in their city. Um, you know, what does that say about us? I can, I can tell you as the union uh, rep over there, we have really take pride in the fact that our city workers live in the city. 
Um, and that is something we do not know how long that will continue. We've been talking a lot about St. Pete, but there's also um, this issue is, is statewide, really, um, and re- particularly bad in our region. Um, and so this has been a topic of discussion at the Tampa City Council as well. Um, let's hear from um, something that uh, uh, represent, uh, uh, City Council Member Guido Maniscalco had to say at a recent City Council meeting. So affordable housing was the um, most used uh, term in the last election cycle when we were running. Every candidate mentioned affordable housing. What is the uh, number one priority and the number one need is affordable housing because we are a victim of our success. And so that, that's what it, a victim of our success. That's what it is. We are on fire. We are Champa Bay. Everybody wants to live here. It's great weather. We are weather. also a victim of not doing anything about a, an issue that he admits was the number one issue in the last campaign. On the last campaign trail, right. We've got um, Loretta on the phone. Loretta, um, who is trying to find an apartment to rent, she wants to tell us her story. Loretta and St. Pete, you're on the line. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Yes, I've, I've been living in a place for six years, and the owner sold the building, and the new owner is gutting it, so I have to move out. But, you know, how am I going to find a place that costs the same as this place from six years ago? It's a big problem. A big obstacle is you've got property managers managing the property rather than an owner. And everything is done by text and email. You never get to meet a person. There's no first impression. There's no, hey, I like the way, you know, you come across. You look responsible. That's completely taken out of the picture. And then third, they want you to have three times the income. Well, I know for a fact Wait, what do you mean three times the income? I haven't rented a place in a long time. Oh, well, yeah. If, if, if the rent is 1500 you have to make 4500 that month. Really? Yes. And how many, you know, even before this crisis, they said people were spending like 30% of their income on rent. So I know income does not dictate responsibility because my neighbor made twice as much as me, and he was late on his rent every single month because he spent it on partying and drugs and when he left the rental he left it a mess and the way he lived you know the landlord had to completely mm-hmm. hire a cleaning crew to clean it out for the next tenant so something has to be done about that three-time income rule also because i can do two times i'm very responsible but the property managers don't want to look at me because i think it's a lot of you know cover your ass if they ask for three times I, I was just going to say, I mean, I think... I Thanks think, for the call, Loretta. Yeah, sorry. I, I was just going to say, I think we've talked a lot about um, this idea of, of accountability uh, in the rental market. And I think um, this idea of a registry of, of landlords that could kind of track um, what those increases have been. Um, have there been concerns? Um, you know, it seems to be a valid thing. We have a registry for, like, your bicycle in St. Pete. It might be good to have a, a registry for those people that determine if we get housing. Um, so what they're suggesting, proposing in the city of Tampa, and this is going to, there will be a workshop on this issue um, in, in Tampa on February 24th. 24th. Um, and uh, this is what, what Orlando Goods has suggested, that's the city council member who proposed it, that we... Um, Limit rent increases to 3% a year. You can't increase the rent more than 3% a year. That's what the city council is proposing. Let's hear what um, uh, Orlando Goods had to say about that. Rent's out of control. People are being forced out for the next, the next high buyer bidder to get in. 
that's just not right to me. Uh, to me, it's gouging. Uh, so uh, I'm hoping that league will bring us something to be able to bring your board something to, to look at that because I think it's key. And the state does have some preemptions about some things, but we're in an emergency crisis here with housing. Everyone knows that. And there's some avenues I think we can take to look at how we can stabilize uh, the city of Tampa and help this county and whole as a general. What, now, he said stabilizing, and I hear them talking about rent stabilization. So is rent stabilization different from rent control, or is that just, are they just rebranding rent control? Yeah, it sounds like a prettier way of saying rent okay. control, but you're, you're trying to control how much people are paying on rent. Right. Yeah. Um, we've got another call. We have um, Leela and Brandon, who wants to talk about um, um, priorities, community priorities. Leela and Brandon, I hope I said your name right. You're on the air. Yes, I've been working with the homeless now for the last 13 and a half years with Put Him Into Hope. I have an established 501c not-for-profit. I tried to get my alternative plan brought before the county commission when uh, Catholic Charities uh, introduced, introduced the concept of tent cities, or a tent city in Tampa. Uh, there was a lag between meetings and not in your backyard, uh, East Lake um, subdivision uh, residents boycotted against the tent city. The county commission did not look at the alternative plan of 144 tiny houses with an intake registry for two weeks for men and women to go into that program. And uh, the, you know, the, the number of people that we could have helped in that little uh, small ecosystem within our county. Um, I tried to introduce the back to work initiative for felons and homeless and post-traumatic stress coming out of prison with Sammy's back-to-work initiative with Sammy's Bakery in Tampa. We got all the way as far as the Tampa Lit Bay Lightning agreeing to build the cottages for those recipients hmm. because I wouldn't agree to a $50,000 year raise for our local county um, homeless director for the Homeless Coalition. I was punished and told that they were not interested in helping us with our ideals because I didn't go along with them. We later found out that year that they lied about the homeless count, and we had 16,000, they said we had 16,000 homeless. We actually had a little over 6,000. And we saw the homeless recovery program shut down because of the kickbacks they were given because of that surplus of money, including Hope Brown from the Republican Party asked to step down from the Port Authority because he received over 600,000 in vouchers from that money. And I am just so tired of the corruption in my own community. And now I see my Oak Tree Park that I've been trying to protect for 20 years with a sign that's saying replacement library going in soon. When we have a beautiful library that's really a land grab for our county to go forth and uh, try to get their hands on our library and call it the replacement for their library administration workers. When in, in, in effect, you're going to build a 25000 square foot library when libraries are now obsolete. Uh, so, Leela, you're saying you feel like there's just a lack of priorities. People, there, our leadership in Hillsborough County is not focusing. That we have a big, we have a bully mentality. And if you are a resident or a citizen of this county and you're not rubbing elbows with the right people, you are severely punished for great ideas and being a visionary. And I have been very persistent and continuing to feed the homeless. And now I give out 2,500 pounds of food a week on my dime and awesome. try to apply for a government grant if you're a little not-for-profit. It doesn't happen. Why? Because the powers that be have labeled you to be outspoken and that you care about your community. They don't want that. And we need to 
do just like that young man said that you're interviewing. We need to get community involvement, and we need to do, if we have to do podcasts in our neighborhoods, all the people are suffering. I, you know, I, on my, the street, my soup kitchen is on. I've seen the rent increase double in a little apartment complex that was $600 a month. Now they're paying $1,200. Yep. Nobody can afford rent. Leela, thanks so much for the call. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to read a portion of an email that we have from um, Jill McCarley, who said that she works 40 hours a week. She was able to work during the pandemic. She wants to pay her bills, but her mortgage is getting ridiculous. Um, she says that it's a vicious cycle. If I lost my home, I would have to move out of Pinellas County. I would have to leave my family and my job of 20 years because I can't afford housing in a place I have lived all my adult life. My 22-year-old daughter can't even move out and start her life because as a pharmacy, pharmacy tech, she doesn't make enough money to live on her own. Something has to give. And I think that that is where we're at, that something has to give. We've got time for, uh, I think, one more call. We have Karen in St. Pete. Karen in St. Pete, you're on the line. Um, hi. You know, thanks for uh, such a great program today. I think in our hearts, you know, we need to remember to treat others as we want to be treated. And I think that's really the sign of, of true leadership. You know, those that are able to pull situations up, pull communities up, you know, uh, living, you know, from a little bit of an esoteric point of view in my own humanity, uh, you know, sure, I work, I have a job right now, I'm a preschool teacher, I have a degree from the University of Florida, but I took a, a you know, a, a job close to home. You know, but my house is paid for, but I've seen the value of it go up. And what I make at that preschool, there's no way if, unless I was already smart through time. You know, I could see minimum wage go from 5 to $10 an hour. But, you know, I always thought it was really funny. You'd see a, a sign that said space for rent. And I thought, wow, you know, in creation, we're given there's so much space. And to put dollar amounts on amount of space when, you know, you look down at the earth and humanity and being so small, but to to uh, to not keep the right vision, our prayers go up, they come back down to earth and to ourselves. And, you know, living from the inside and then the outside secondary, I say, you know, the earth can do incredible things. Incredible things can happen when people still keep their prayers and dreams and believing in the earth. Well, Karen, I, I, and do things, I like so. your holistic perspective, Karen. Thanks for the call. We appreciate it very Thank much. And that you. is an interesting yeah. thing that we are. We do just sort of divide up the earth um, and <laughs> claim it for our own. A lot of that going on. And there are things that are happening about affordable housing. The Tampa Urban League, for example, is having a panel discussion on February 17th. If you're interested in that, go to ULHC.com. Org. And Aaron, I think you all have... Uh, we have a competing event. <laughs> same day. Yeah, we're, we're calling on everybody of, of goodwill, everybody that's going through this crisis. Uh, we voted to move to our second tactic of a mass demonstration for a housing state of emergency in St. Pete, Thursday, February 17th at 5 p.m. That's at City Hall. I think you have shown what the power of the people can have on the elected system. And don't forget, folks... The state has an extra $4 billion to spend this year, so we'll see if they use that for affordable housing. Uh, thanks for tuning in today. You're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF. If you have any ideas for someone we should feature on our show, send us an email to dj at WMNF. Again, this is WMNF Tampa. Up next is the NPR News, followed by Harrison Nash. Wow.